why do I have to do this in order for you to allow me into your kingdom, for instance, right? I just couldn't come to terms with the idea that there is the, the one way, the truth, and the life when there's so many people that claim to have that one path. What is it? John 3, 16, right? Hey, what you believe is what you believe. God loved the world, so, so loved the world he gave his only son. If that's what you find comfort in. So that whoever believes in him shall... And you want to believe that. Not perish, but live everlasting life, right? Then, then great. How can you exclude the rest of the world um, and say that your, you know, your club got it right? I feel like having a right way and a wrong way doesn't always work. Like what is that one thing that really re resolutes with you and your soul that lets you know that you've got it right? In order to believe that John 3.16 is the absolute truth, I would need God to tell me that, not you or a pastor or my friend or my sister or my mother. You know, I would need God to tell me that. There must have been something that lets you know that this is the only way. And how come, how come I don't know that yet? If God were to say to me that that's that simple, there would be nothing stopping me from embracing that. I'd like to know why Jesus is the only way to mm -hmm. God. I've always had this idea that if there is a heaven, good people should be allowed to get into heaven regardless of what their religious beliefs are. Um, you know, is Jesus Christ the only way to you because you say so and I just have to deal with it? I don't like that at all. It really rubs me the wrong way. What's the valid reason that he is the only way I can get to you? Why can't you accept me as I am as a good person? Kind of like a arrogance to it a little bit. I have a sense of, an immediate sense of seclusion when I hear, I have to believe this specific thing or, sorry. And even as connected of a world as we have now, there's still plenty of people that will never hear Right. The, the mm -hmm. Word of God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's not their fault. If there is one God, why is there so many different religions, I yeah. guess? Which one is right, or why is there so many choices? I'm not taking a leap of faith off the deep end until I've got a little bit more evidence to, to, to trust that I'm going to come out all right on that other side. I'm open to, to having that evidence and having that reason for me to, to take that leap. I just haven't found it. Morning, church. Welcome to Venture. My name is Jake or Pedro. Pedro Pascal, the actor who plays the Mandalorian. Who knows? Who knows who's under here? Oh, I am Stan, and I've just gotten a lot shorter. So in the Star Wars universe, we're going to talk a little bit about Star Wars today. In the Star Wars universe, there is a group of people known as the Mandalorians. And many of you have probably seen the show, um, but if you haven't, this is kind of what the Mandalorian looks like. Not me. Yes, right here. <laughs> That's a picture of the Mandalorian. Some of you may recognize this little guy right here. His name is Grogu, or more popularly known as Baby Yoda, or in my house, I've got four toddlers in my house, uh, as just a little green guy. So for those of you that joined the Star Wars universe a little bit before I was born, you might recognize this pseudo-Mandalorian right here. This guy is Boba Fett. They've actually made a new series about him on Star Wars. And maybe you don't recognize this picture. You might recognize this next one. Uh, it's Boba Fett, and he's about to get thrown into the pit of Sarlacc. You might have heard the, the name Luke Skywalker. He defeats this guy. But I 
regress. Okay. In many ways, though, the Mandalorians are more of a religious group than they are a people group. And this is why, because they are all about their creed, the creed of the Mandalorians. It's called the way of Mandalore, and they live by this creed, they die by this creed, uh, they come into their community by this creed, and they are shunned from their community by this exact same creed. So let me tell you a few pieces of this creed, and some of them will sound very, very familiar to you. From the time they come of age, Mandalorians must wear a helmet at all times in the presence of people. To remove the helmet is to remove their standing in the community, and then they are shunned. Another aspect of Mandalorian culture is that they are to take care of other Mandalorians at great personal cost and at great personal risk to themselves. And so if there's a Mandalorian in need, a Mandalorian will go and try to help them, even if it puts their life on the line. No questions, because that's part of their creed. The final part of the Mandalorian creed is that if there is a youngling, they call them a foundling, if there's a young person or a young member of any species who is left without parents, they are to take that that person in, that kid in, and either raise them to become a Mandalorian, help them to find their own people, or send them out when they come of age. Does this sound familiar? Does this sound a little bit like what we're supposed to do as Christians? I've got a whole other sermon series planned for like 20 years from now about how the Mandalorian culture is very similar to what we're supposed to do as Christians. But that's not what I'm going to talk to you about today. The final aspect of Mandalorian culture that I want to highlight is the phrase that they utter whenever they are talking about this creed. And many of you have probably heard this if you've seen the show. They say it a lot of times. It's a simple sentence, and it goes like this. This is the way. I'll say that in my deep voice, even though it's probably way deeper because I'm wearing the helmet. This is the way. Why do you take care of other people in your Mandalorian culture? Because this is the way. Why do you never remove your helmet in the presence of another person? This is the way. Why do you take care of people who are vulnerable? This is the way. This is the way. And whenever a Mandalorian utters this sentence, every other Mandalorian in their presence is supposed to say, in response, as a kind of affirmation that this is being said, they are simply to say, this is the way, back. So someone will say, this is the way. And then everyone else will say, this is the way. So we are actually going to do that today. So this is the service I am excited about because you guys actually talk back and you laugh at our jokes even when they're not funny. Second hour is a little bit more difficult. So when I say this is the way, this might bring you back to some of your uh, denominational roots. When I say this is the way, I will point to you and then I need you to repeat that back. So let's practice that. This is the way. Thank you. All right. So because I am not a true Mandalorian... I will remove my helmet, and my voice doesn't sound quite as sexy as it was sounding, but that's okay. (laughs) So today, as part of our Room for Doubt series, we are here to tackle a very, very significant question. If you've been with us for any of our last five weeks, we've been highlighting big questions that both Christians and non-Christians alike are wrestling with. And we've discovered that questions are a really, really good thing. And that we as Christians should be thinking about these. And those of you who are in our audience who have not yet crossed the line of faith, that's okay. You still have these exact same questions. Why does God allow suffering? Does God even exist? Big, big questions. And we thank you for the the questions that you're texting in. We love answering those. Today I'm here to tackle one very specific one. And it's this. Is it intolerant to say that Jesus 
is the only way. Is it intolerant to say that Jesus is the only way? It is a very exclusive claim, so is it intolerant to say that Jesus is the only way? And at the risk of boring you guys a little bit, I know that I'm going to lose some of you for the first half of it today, and I'm okay with that. We're going to ask two major questions in order to lead us into the answer to that final one. Is it intolerant to make a truth claim? Any kind of truth claim. Is it intolerant? We're going to tackle that. And the second question is, does Jesus actually claim to be the only way? Does Jesus actually say that? What I find a lot of times with my own beliefs and when I talk to other Christians is that we oftentimes believe things that Jesus never says, that the Bible doesn't talk about. So we we need to be sure, does Jesus actually claim to be the only way? If so, when does he make that claim? What are the implications? And if he doesn't make that claim, why do people think that he makes this claim? So we're going to tackle those two questions. Question number one, is it intolerant to make a truth claim? I'm going to give you a fair warning. This part can get a little bit boring, maybe a little bit heady. I don't know, that's boring is probably not the right word. Some of you will love this section. Some of you will be like, well, duh. And some of you will be like, get this guy off the stage. He's boring me. We're going to go to a question of logic today and a little bit of philosophy. So I need to, you guys to put on your thinking caps. I hate when people tell me to do that. It's a little condescending, but I'm going to tell you to do that anyway. Followers of Christ. The call to faith is not the call to check our brains at the door. It is not the call to check our brains at the door. A lot of people think, because I have faith that I just need to stop thinking. And I would argue that it is the exact opposite. Paul, in the book of Romans, he talks about being transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so I would argue that as Christians, after we cross the line of faith, as we have access to the Holy Spirit living inside us, as we have a a daily relationship with the smartest being who ever lived, Jesus, we should be better thinkers as Christians than we were before we decided to make that leap of faith. And some of you need to hear this today. Stop being intellectually lazy. Do not allow this part, the, the heady part of faith to to distract you or to uh, intimidate you, but rather jump in. True faith engages with difficult questions. It looks for honest answers. It embraces the gray areas, and it's open-minded to changing our beliefs when presented with different truth. This is the way. Yes, awesome. This is going to become important as you wrestle with important questions of faith, and I would say at now more than any other time, this is going to be very important because we, guys, we live in a culture of chaos. We live in a culture that keeps trying to change what absolute truth means. We live in a culture where there's a lot of circular logic running around. And so we as Christians, as believers, we need to be thinking well. And not only thinking about how to respond and how to think in our own heads, but how to respond in love. So at the risk of sounding pedantic or condescending, we're going to do a little exercise today that will require some audience participation. I'm going to throw up a phrase. There it is. Two plus two equals four. So on the count of three, we're going to do several of these. On the count of three, I would need you to shout out if you think this statement is true or false. And I'm not trying to trick you. So on the count of three, two plus two equals four. Is it true or false? One, two, three. Yes. Okay. Everybody passed math class. That was the math that we needed to do at Bible college, so (laughs) I made it through. (laughs) But it's true, right? All the laws of mathematics that we have created in every scenario, 2 plus 2 equals 4. And it's not intolerant to make a claim. It doesn't matter if someone believes that 2 plus 2 equals 4 or not. It's not intolerant to make the claim that 2 plus 2 equals 4. 
I've got another one. The capital of Australia is Sydney. The capital of Australia is Sydney. On the count of three, is it true or false? One, two, three. Man, I was hoping to trick you guys. Okay, it is false. It is false. <laughs> well, that didn't work. <laughs> Hopefully, second hour is not as smart as you guys. <laughs> oh, okay. The capital of Australia is actually called Canberra, and it's not Sydney. So this, this doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. These were simple statements of fact. I was hoping you would pick the wrong thing so that I could highlight the fact that it's a simple statement of fact, and even if you get it wrong, even if you thought that that was true, that doesn't make the claim intolerant. And more importantly, it doesn't make you as the person who is making a statement that's false. It doesn't make you intolerant inherently just for making a claim. Doesn't make you intolerant. We wouldn't classify a right statement or a wrong statement as intolerant or the people making them as intolerant. And intellectual honesty would dictate that we simply chalk up people making false statements to ignorance. You aren't a bigot for thinking something wrong. You're simply wrong. And Christians, it's okay to be wrong. It's okay to be wrong. It's okay to be right, too. You need to hear that, too. But we weren't born knowing everything, and as we continue to grow, we will learn new things and be corrected. This is the way. Yes, I love that. <laughs> so let's move a little further past statements of exact fact that we all apparently know the answer to. You guys all know your world capitals. You will be reincarnated. You will be reincarnated. True or false? True or false? On the count of three, is it true or false? One, two, three. Bunch of bigots. Bunch of bigots. Bunch of bigots. How could you say no to that? Or how could you say yes to that? That is an opinion. See how easy it is to shut down conversation so quickly by throwing stones? The fact of the matter is you will either be reincarnated or you won't. This is not some kind of Schrodinger's reincarnation here. You're not simultaneously reincarnated and not. You either will be or you won't be. I'd like to highlight it again. Making a truth claim is morally neutral. Believing and saying you will be reincarnated doesn't make it true. Believing and saying that you won't be reincarnated doesn't inherently make it false. And in a similar way, just because we believe one thing as Christians doesn't make it inherently true. And just because people don't believe what we believe doesn't make it inherently false. Last one. Jesus rose from the dead. True or false? On the count of three. And don't be shy. If you don't believe that, that's totally cool. This is a welcoming place. On the count of three, Jesus rose from the dead. True or false? One, two, three. Again, this statement is either true or it's false. It's one that I believe to be true. Jesus can't have risen or not risen simultaneously. He either did or he didn't rise from the dead. And as with any truth claim, we must, we must look at the evidence or the lack thereof to determine its veracity. Is it true or is it not? We have to figure that out. This is the way. Let's do another exercise. This one's a little bit more heady. Let's take the sentence, I always lie. I'll give you a second to think about that. I always lie. Did you catch what's going on with this? It's a contradictory statement. If it's true that I always lie, then you can't trust that I'm telling you the truth when I say that I'm lying. But if I don't always lie, if I sometimes tell the truth, then it's obviously a false statement that I always lie. 
it is a contradictory statement. Now let's take a look at another one. This one is more prevalent in our culture today. Absolute truth does not exist. You catch it? Absolute truth does not exist. And if you've never heard the term absolute truth, it's simply something that's saying a permanent truth. It's, it's a reality that remains true. It doesn't matter the context. If absolute truth exists, then the statement is false, obviously. But here is the contradictory part of that same statement. If absolute truth does not exist, then the statement itself, which is actually a claim to absolute truth, it contradicts itself in much the same way that the phrase, I always lie, contradicts itself. So anyone who makes the claim that absolute truth does not exist does not actually believe that, otherwise they couldn't make that statement. So here's that claim in disguise, right? We don't have a bunch of dweebs walking around like little philosophers saying, absolute truth exists. Absolute truth does not exist. That's, there's only a handful of us in the room that, that think like that. That's, that's weird, so I don't advocate for thinking like that. But here's that claim in disguise. Here's that claim. You've probably heard this before. You've probably said it before. Everything is relative. Everything is relative. We're not talking about the theory of relativity and the space-time, but everything, morals, how we act, how we behave, everything is relative. It just depends. Sometimes it's okay to murder, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's okay to lie, sometimes it's not. Here's one that I hear a lot more, and especially from my own peers. What's true for you is true for you, and what's true for me is true for me. A lot of times people talk about having my truth, or speaking my truth, or your truth. This is something I'm seeing more and more and more. That's an absolute truth claim in disguise. They're claiming that nothing is absolute. But even people who legitimately buy this logic, they live in such a way that's inconsistent with that. I first encountered this idea in C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. And I'll read a quote from him that's articulated way better than I could ever articulate it. He says, whenever you find a man who says he doesn't believe in a real right and wrong, you will find the same man going back on this a moment later. When faced with a real moral dilemma, this same man who claims there is no objective right or wrong will reveal his true convictions. He may condemn and act as unjust, express outrage at cruelty, or demand fairness and equality. His actions will betray his underlying belief in a moral order beyond mere personal opinion. It is in these moments that the facade crumbles and the truth becomes evident. You might not claim in moral absolutes you might say, it's okay to steal in certain scenarios, but I bet you don't think it's okay to steal from you. Absolute truth must exist in order for us to make any real claims, for us to have any kind of actual conversation with one another. It must exist. And I want you guys to hear my heart in this because I don't want to come across as brash or as just like one of these, these talking heads. Absolute truth is not subject to our beliefs, our feelings, or our opinions. Put another very, very brash way. Facts don't care about your feelings. And I'm not saying that opinions or beliefs or feelings are bad. God gives us feelings. God gives us the ability to choose our beliefs and our opinions, and these are good things. But the Bible tells us that our heart is deceptive above all things. Just because we think or believe or have the opinion of something doesn't inherently make it true. I can believe with all my might that this tomato is, this purple tomato is how we got this purple ketchup. That doesn't make it true. I can believe, I hear this a lot, I can believe that my parents hate me with very little evidence, but I can believe that with all my being. That doesn't make it true. I can have the opinion that Purdue is better than IU. 
but that doesn't make it true. <laughs> yeah, don't amen that too soon. <laughs> a lot of us have been told by our culture that to make any kind of claim is intolerant or bigoted. And what I'm hoping that you've gathered is that it is okay to make a truth claim. It's the way in which we make those claims. The truth claim itself is not the bigoted or intolerant thing. It's how we make those. And the problem with buzzwords like intolerant or bigot, things that we throw around, it's usually used as an intellectually dishonest mudslinging game. We don't really care to dissect the argument. We just want to throw mud and call names. This is an intellectually dishonest way of really wrestling with questions. And so Christians, I encourage you not to be the ones who are also mudslinging. And quite an ironic twist, when it just so happens that everyone who disagrees with you is, in, is an intolerant bigot, you have likely revealed yourself to be the biggest bigot of them all. This is the way. As you've probably noticed in your day-to-day -day world, there are viewpoints that are mutually exclusive from one another. The simple illustration of 2 plus 2 equals 4 is exclusive from 2 plus 2 equals 5. They can't both be true. The stage is either black or it's not. Venture Christian Church either beat East 91st Christian Street Church this last week in softball or not. We did. I had to throw that in there. No thanks to me. <laughs> and Jesus either makes true statements about himself or he doesn't. That brings me to my second main question for today. Does Jesus claim to be the only way? Let's open our Bibles to John chapter 14 to see if we can find an answer to this question. John chapter 14, and let's find out what Jesus says about himself. This is the way. So like, I'm going to give you a little tidbit on, on biblical understanding. Any piece of literature that we read going back thousands of years, it includes the Bible, but any piece of literature, even that you read today, one of the, the overarching things that you need to look for is what we call the aim or the author's intended meaning. We need to be aware of what the author is trying to do and how they are trying to do that in order to understand what they are communicating. This is the way. So Stan briefly touched on this a few weeks ago, and I'd like to reiterate, John is the, the gospel writer who spent a lot of time with Jesus. He was Jesus' closest friend, uh, as far as we can tell from what the Bible says about itself. And within the book of John, he sprinkles seven I am statements. And Stan touched on this a little bit. He said that the I am statements... We're hearkening back to the time of the Exodus when God revealed himself to Moses and he said, my name is I am. Tell them I am sent you to go and help the people get out of slavery. It's weird saying that because it's a noun and a verb is, is the name. But Jesus, or God said his name is I am. And so when Jesus makes an I am statement, he is simultaneously claiming to be God. And then whatever follows that I am statement, he is comparing that thing to himself and to God and revealing something about his character and his mission. And you'll see what I mean in just a second. So what word pictures does Jesus create for us that simultaneously reveals God's character and lets us know the truth claims that he is making? Listen to these I am statements from John and let me know if Jesus claims to be the only way. John chapter 6, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. John 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 10, therefore Jesus said again, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. 
I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. John 10 again, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me. John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. John 15, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. John 14, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is the way. And so we see here very explicitly that Jesus is telling his disciples that he is the exclusive way to the Father. The only way that you can get to the Father and spend eternity with him is through Jesus. This is the way. In fact, the early church, just as a little aside, the early church thought that this statement was so profound. And we think that it's probably this exact statement uttered by Jesus on the night that he was betrayed. He was about to be crucified. He was betrayed by all of his friends, not just Judas. And he utters this statement. The early church thought this was so profound. Because in the early church, the believers referred to themselves, not as Christians, not as Jesus followers, but as followers of the way. The term Christian that we have since adopted in the years of Christianity, that was actually a derogatory term used by outsiders to refer to Christians. But followers of Jesus referred to themselves as followers of the way, the exclusive way of Jesus. And they thought that this was good news. This is the way. So Jesus claimed to be the only way. Jesus' followers, as we read about in the book of Acts, knew that he claimed to be the only way. So let's revisit the first question. Is it intolerant to say that Jesus is the only way? First off, is it intolerant to make a truth claim explicitly? No. I do not believe that it is inherently intolerant to make any kind of truth claim. Question number two, did Jesus actually claim to be the only way? Yes, Jesus did. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is not the only passage. We read several others in the book of John and several other passages in the New Testament. Jesus makes explicit claims to be the only way to the Father. So succinctly, the answer to our main question for today is no. It is not intolerant to say that Jesus is the only way. Exclusive, absolutely. Absolutely is an exclusive claim, but it is not inherently intolerant. So like any good answer, this begs several more questions. The first question that comes to my mind is, okay, so if it's not intolerant, then why are people asking this question? Why are people asking this question? The people that put the overarching themes of this series together, the room for doubt guys that think about this stuff all the time, they decided that this was going to be one of the six topics. So why? Who is asking this kind of question? Who's asking this question? And also, how do we engage with them when they're asking this question. And as I've percolated on this, as I've asked the Holy Spirit for wisdom on this, I can really see two major groups of people who are asking this question. 
people that were hurt by other Christians, perhaps by God, and people who really haven't wrestled with the intellectual dishonesty of this particular position. I'm going to grab the second one first. So in the circles I run in, this group is a lot smaller. People who haven't really delved into the logic of, is it intolerant to make a truth claim? So these are usually your brainiacs. I have a lot of friends like this growing up who were atheists, and they were not bad people. Uh, They were not people who were bashing on Christians. I was not persecuted by them as an outspoken Christian in their midst. But for whatever reason, usually it was intellectual, they did not believe in Jesus, and a lot of times they were the ones saying that it's intolerant to say that Jesus is the only way. Lots of reasons for this, but bottom line, even if people haven't been personally hurt, by Christians, they are still making this claim. And the best way we can engage them is to simply ask questions. It's not to rain down on them with our logic. It's not to rain down on them with our knowledge. It's to simply ask a few well-placed questions. We talk a lot about this in our One Life training. This is something I would encourage you to go through in the fall. A simple question followed alongside with Just continued conversation, continued openness, continued vulnerability with those people about your intellectual doubts. That's the first group. The second group of people, I think, is by far and away the largest group of people who is making this claim. It is intolerant to say Jesus is the only way. And when you delve just a little bit below the surface, the reason that they're saying that is not because they believe that exact phrase, but it's because they have been hurt by people. They believe that they've been hurt by God. And church, if I can give you a challenge, in these scenarios, it's so much less about what we know. People don't care about what we know until they know about how much we care. I need you to put your pastor hat on. Not a pastor like a a formal role, but a pastor like a shepherd. Like you're going to walk with somebody. Put your pastor hat on for just a second. Or your helmet. Yeah, put your pastor helmet on. When people have approached you with something that maybe you said that was wrong, maybe something ignorant, you know, they're just trying to correct your belief, or maybe they're approaching you with a sin issue in your life that maybe you've noticed or maybe you haven't. If you don't know that person, or if you question their motives, are you likely to listen to that person? If you're like me, I don't like to be approached by people that I don't know and told to do this or do that or don't do this or don't do that. It doesn't make them wrong, but I'm less likely to hear it. Now flip the script a little bit. If you're approached by somebody who you know and love well, who you know means well, who is correcting you on some trivial claim or perhaps they're correcting you on something major going on in your life, how much more likely are you to listen to them if you have a good relationship? As a group, we have to do better. As Christians, we have to do better at lovingly engaging people with conversations, especially people with very different beliefs than us. If I can put on my dad hat for a moment, and maybe a little bit of self-disclosure, a lot of you are in the boat that I have been in before. We cowardly run away from these conversations. We don't want to make people feel uncomfortable. We don't want to offend people. And so we are cowards and we run away from these conversations. This is not the answer. This is not the way. On the flip side, I've also been in this boat before. We think that by shoving Bible quotes down their throats in a less aggressive way, but it is essentially Bible bashing people, saying, well, the Bible says this, the Bible said this, so change your life right now. We pile drive people. 
And then we, say, we, we blame them. We say, oh, it was their fault. They knew the truth and they rejected that. They might have known the truth claim, but they're like, I don't want to follow the same Jesus that this guy's following. Pile-driving truth is not the answer. This is not the way. And if I can be so bold as to share my opinion on this matter, I would say that if you are unwilling to help people pick up the pieces of a shattered worldview, if you're unwilling to walk alongside them, to cry with them, to answer questions, then you really have no right to dismantle their worldview. This is a classic one life conversation at Venture. We ask, who is your one life? Who is the one life that you are investing in? Guys, we need people to invest. The folks in this boat who have been personally hurt by Christians, they've been personally hurt by God. They need people to sacrificially love them. They need people to cry with them. They need people to walk with them. They need people to do life with them. And ultimately, to not be cowardly and to introduce them to the way. This is the way. Many worldviews claim that we must follow certain dietary restrictions. Don't eat pork, don't eat beef, don't drink caffeine. Make sure you eat plenty of fruits and vegetables. Don't drink wine, do drink wine. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Many worldviews claim that we find enlightenment through a variety of different paths, the eightfold path, through suffering, through work, through our relationships, through pleasure, through education. This is how we try, find true enlightenment. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Many worldviews claim to be keep, gatekeepers of the good life. If you only make this much money, you marry this person, you have this job, you have this kind of kid, you have this set of accomplishments, you have this kind of body, then you live the good life. They, are, they claim to be gatekeepers. Jesus says, I am the gate for the sheep. Many worldviews claim that you have no inherent worth, that you are completely worthless as a human being, that you are a disease to the planet, that nothing can change that fact that you were, would be better off if you were dead because you wouldn't be sucking up so many resources. You have no value. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Many worldviews claim that when we die, we cease to exist. We are simply a series of random chances with no ultimate meaning. And when we die, our last contribution to this earth is as fertilizer. There's nothing after death. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Many worldviews claim that your value is in what you produce. Work hard to leave a legacy. Earn your right to sit at the table. Things only happen in your life if you will them and you force them and you work really hard to make them happen. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And last but not least, many worldviews claim that there are many paths to eternal life and many other worldviews claim to have found that way. But when asked how his followers could know the way to eternity with God, Jesus lovingly replied, I am the way. This is the way.